What a song. What a song. What a statement. Thank you so much for that, Callie. Take your Bibles this morning. We're going to preach a message this morning that I'm praying will have several purposes and accomplish several goals. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew as a springboard this morning. Uh, this is one of those messages that uh, you're probably, if you're the studious type, how many of you are the studious type? Raise your hand. You say, I don't know what that means. Then you're not the studious type. <laughs> Just let me help you out with that. All right. But if you're the studious type, you're going to want to probably go to the church website and uh, download or look at this outline, these notes afterwards. Uh, I've got a lot of Bible, a lot of cross-references, and uh, you will get, um, you may get a little bit overwhelmed if you're trying to write all this down or if you're trying to look all these up. But I'm hoping and praying this morning that God would use this message uh, for, uh, to accomplish several goals. The, the, the verse that we're going to focus on is the last verse in chapter 25 of the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew chapter 25. For the sake of time, I'm only going to start in verse 41 because we're using this text as a springboard. I'm not going to expound this passage of Scripture like I normally do. I'm using it as a springboard and then we're going to do a topical study this morning and I'd covet your prayers as we start in verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand. This is the judgment of all the nations that we find in verse number 32. Then shall he say uh, also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You took me not in naked, and you clothed me not sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, for as, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. Verse 46, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into life eternal. This passage is talking about a judgment specifically. There are several judgments in the Bible. And we're not going to get into all of that this morning because that is another whole message. But twice in this passage we find an interesting uh, usage of the word everlasting. In verse number 41 he said, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. And in verse number 46, Jesus said, These shall go away into everlasting punishment. Here's what I want to preach on this morning. Everlasting punishment. True or false? True or false? Lord, help us this morning as we open our Bibles. I pray that you would help me to do, Lord, what you would have me to do. I pray that I would rightly divide the word of truth. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would help me to be able to convey to the people of God and those that may be listening online or go back and listen to this message later, Lord, may the truth of the Word of God, uh, Lord, be, be uh, Lord, find a lodging place in their hearts. We live in such a day of deceit and a day, Father, where biblical truths and doctrines are being uh, debated and denied. Lord, I pray this morning this message would help somebody. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, several things that I'm hoping and praying God will do today through this message. 
uh, several purposes that I'm praying God will accomplish. One, this message is uh, what you would call maybe an apologetics type message, a defense of Bible truth. We're going to look at a number of verses. Some of them I will have you turn. Some of them I will just listen and I'll give you the reference. And as I said, you can go back and look at the notes later. You will have access to everything I've got in front of me that I take to the pulpit. I post every one of my outlines on the church website, cbcdundalk.org. You can go there and follow the links and you can look at every single one of the outlines. And this one's got a lot of material to try to cover. Uh, But this morning, I feel like the message is a defense of the faith, a defense of truth. The second purpose that I'm praying for God to do is to stir the hearts of the saints for the importance of soul winning and witnessing and taking our friends and family with us to heaven. The third purpose of this message would be hopefully to stir the hearts of the sinner to salvation. And I would hate for you to be here this morning, listen to this message and then leave lost and unsaved and, and, and die and go to hell. And so this morning, we're going to uh, look at a message I had planned to, to preach part four of the Together series. We'll do that tonight unless the Lord changes my heart. I really felt like this morning God wanted me to deal with this subject. There's four things that we're going to look at this morning if you want to write down these notes. The first thing I want you to notice is the denial of hell. We are living in a day and age where... Hell is just denied as being even literal or real. Never before has the biblical doctrine of hell been under more attack than it is right now. Now, it's always been mocked. It's always been denied. There's always been people that scoffed at the idea of a place called hell. But now, we are living in a day where so-called Bible teachers, so-called Bible preachers, and so-called religious leaders are denying the biblical doctrine of hell. It's beyond my uh, comprehension. In fact, uh, just a couple of things that I've seen in the last few days, I guess is maybe what sparked or stirred this message upon my heart. But there's a, there's a guy on Twitter that is uh, professing to be some sort of a Bible doctrines expert. I won't give you his handle because I don't want you to follow him. But here's what he said. He said this just this past week. I'm quoting, if you dogmatically, unquestionably, and even gleefully insist that people being punished eternally for something that they have absolutely no control over is good, right, and just, then you are likely beyond the point of being capable of having a rational discourse on the topic. Let me say, I don't know anybody that gleefully believes in hell. In fact, I want to go on record this morning and saying if there's ever anything that I have ever preached that I hope I'm wrong about, it's this. I don't believe I am, and I'm going to show it to you from the Word of God. But trust me, if I get to heaven and find out that there is no such thing as eternal punishment, I won't be disappointed. But the Bible's pretty clear, and this is the type of stuff that's being put out. Unsaved people are reading it. New converts are reading it. Pastors are reading it and changing their preaching, changing their messages, and uh, it is unbelievable. Here's another article that I read um, from the Christian life. Here's what it says. I'm quoting this. Whether you are a Christian or not, chances are that you've heard about the idea of hell. By the way, it's not an idea. A place somewhere under the ground where bad people who died and did not believe in God burn and suffer in the hellfire for eternity. This is a widely accepted teaching in the Christian world, but is this really what the Bible teaches? Think of the picture of God that this popular and widespread teaching of eternal suffering presents. Love me and do it my way or suffer forever. 
Does that sound right to you? And would it be justice that a person who's lived wickedly for approximately 80 years would need to pay for it for eternity? That is unthinkable and horrible. Yet this is the picture that the church has presented to the world. No wonder many people reject a small g God like that. This is the kind of stuff that's floating around. This is the kind of things that people are reading. These are the kinds of things that people are being confused by, being persuaded, being turned away from what the Bible says. It's not just about hell. It's not just about the length of hell, but there is there's so much confusion because we live in such a sensitive snowflake society that people cannot imagine a God of wrath and judgment. Those that profess to be Christians uh, that deny the wrath and judgment of God are heretics. Are you listening to me this morning? Plain and simple. Beth Moore went public on her social media just two weeks ago denouncing the message by Jonathan Edwards entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I'm going to read verbatim what she put on her social media post. This is a very influential woman, unfortunately. The, the, she said, the God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as uh, one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. You are a thousand times more abominable in his eyes uh, than the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. She said, I get that Edwards is talking to those who do not look to Christ for salvation, but I'm just saying, I was so broken and self-loathing and ensnared in my sin uh, such preaching would have made me feel like dying, like running away, not running toward God. She went on to say, I would have wondered how he could go straight to loving someone like a son after he had abhorred them like a spider. This thought process breaks down, of course, because I'm certainly not God. And to be candid, I tend to like spiders. I mean, real ones. She went on to say, God uses all sorts of means of calling people out of sin and unbelief. At times, I have very much needed the sternest possible warning from God. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm no big theologian. I can say amen to that. But I just don't think you are a spider, and I don't think that God abhors you. So we have a woman, 65-year-old woman preacher that is going to debate Jonathan Edwards who preached a message and people got saved. Thousands of people got saved. People are still getting saved from that message. She made two statements in there that I have to agree with. First one is she says, I'm not God. That is exactly the truth. And when it comes to the subject of judgment and hell, we cannot even begin to think like God thinks. And just because we don't understand it or just because we don't like it or just we don't think it's a good idea doesn't mean we're right and God is wrong. God's still God, amen? amen. She said, I'm not God. And she says, I'm no theologian. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to read the Bible and find out what the Bible says about these subjects. Talk about the blind leading the blind. People today cannot comprehend a God that judges sin, judges sinners, demonstrates wrath and anger. The Bible's filled. I'm just going to give you a few on this morning. Psalm 7, 11, God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. 
Romans chapter 1, verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 6. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Are you still with me? Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter number two, from verse one down through verse number six. He said, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them that do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth men to repentance. But after thy hardness and impotent heart treasures up against thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds." So back to back in Romans 2, Paul said the goodness of God leadeth men to repentance. And there's the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the compassion, the long-suffering of God that Callie just sang about, that he looked down and saw us and he thought that we were worth dying for. But that same God that is merciful and long-suffering and patient and good and just is also a God, a God of anger, a God of wrath, a God of judgment, and a God of punishment. You can't have one without the other. And make no mistake, the wrath of God is real. Judgment is real. Hell is real. The Lamb of God, when the Bible talks about Jesus being the Lamb of God, that little meek, that little humble, that little type of a servant, that lowly, lowly Lamb. The Bible tells us in Revelation 6, 16, that in the day, the day will come when they will say to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. How do, you, how do you rectify that in your mind? I can't. I do know this. The wrath of God is real. Yes. Judgment is real. Yes. Hell is real. Amen. We see the denial of hell. Anyone that denies hell or anything the Bible teaches about hell is a false teacher and a false prophet and a heretic. Amen. Amen. Number two, I want to look at the designation of hell or the design of hell. What, what, what was hell designed for? Why, why was hell created? The Bible's very clear in our text this morning in Matthew chapter 25. Look with me if you would in verse number 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So the Bible answers that question. Hell was prepared. It was designed. It was created for the devil and for his angels. In eternity past, before the creation of this world, 
There was a rebellion. There was a revolt that took place in heaven against God. This is described in detail, or I say detail, a lot more detail in Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter number 14. We're not going to turn over those verses this morning. We get a lot into a lot of the character and attributes and, and specifics about Lucifer, who is also known as Satan in the Bible or the devil. Uh, but Jesus referred to it in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 18, where he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So when we read our Bible and we read all the passages, we understand that Lucifer, the Bible tells us, was a cherub or cherubim. And he rebelled against God in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14 down through verse number 16. Lucifer's crime, his main crime, was that of treason, that of betrayal, where he rebelled against the very God he was created to worship and created to serve. The Bible tells us he was lifted up with pride. He said, I will exalt my throne above the most high God. And the Bible tells us that he was cast out of heaven along with a portion of angels. The Bible in our text this morning says, prepared for the devil and his angels in verse number 41. We could spend weeks doing a study on demonology, and, 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 uh, which the word demon, by the way, is not found in the Bible. The Bible calls them devils. Unclean spirits, foul spirits, principalities. They're not called demons, they're called devils. Now, the Bible is not specific. It doesn't just say that Satan was cast out of heaven and took a third of the angels with him. It doesn't say that. We come to that understanding based on different passages of scripture and when you put them all together and you study them out we it leads us to believe that he took a third of the angels with him because simply in revelation chapter number 12 and in verse number three and four the bible talks about this dragon i don't want to get distracted I'm, i want to just explain what hell's for and why it was why it's hell but in in revelation chapter uh, 12, the Bible says in verse number three, there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and seven horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. These are verses and other verses that lead us to believe that there was a significant percentage of angels that followed Satan. And as a result of that, they were cast out of heaven. And they are what today, what we call, know as devils or demons. Or, or the Bible says the devil and his angels. It's hard to get real dogmatic about things the Bible's not real dogmatic about, but if you put the clues together and follow the bread trails, you get some ideas. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, the point is this. Hell was created for the devil and for his angels. He was prepared, hell was prepared for them. Now understand this this morning. This was Satan. Satan. By the way, the fallen angels become referred to as devils throughout the ministry of Christ. And one of the things about them being referred to as devils is it gives the devil the, the, the impression to people of being omnipresent, and he's not. His angels are everywhere. His fallen angels are all over the place. But the devil can only be in one place at a time. And I hate to pop your balloon this morning, but you say, the devil's been on my back all week. Probably wasn't him. Probably one of his flunkies. I don't know that I'm important enough for the devil to even bother with me. Come on now. 
I've said it before, I'm my own worst enemy. Amen. I mean, I mean we, we, anyway, I'll get distracted. Uh, but uh, the death, the, Lucifer's position in heaven was one of protecting or guarding the very throne of God. We were sitting around the table last night and I asked the boys, I said, what was Lucifer guarding the throne of God from? There were no enemies of God before him. That was just a question. You don't have to answer it. I don't know that you can. But that was his position as a, as a cherub. That's getting deep, ain't it? And then you've got archangels. Michael's an archangel. Gabriel's an archangel. And, and angels in heaven have rank. And the Bible tells us that Michael's very aware of who Lucifer was, his position over the throne of God as a cherub. And Jude, book of Jude, verse number nine, the Bible says, yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. Michael didn't even want to fight against him. Right. If I understand that verse correctly. What is my point? My point is this. Hell was created and prepared as a place to judge Satan or Lucifer and the fallen angels. And there's nothing they can do to not end up in hell. Okay, that's going to happen. The devil and the fallen angels cannot repent and get saved. All right, their doom, their judgment is sealed. But not only are the devil and his angels going to hell, but the Bible tells us also are the unbelievers or the lost people that reject Christ. They are also going to go to hell. Now, hell is real. By the way, God doesn't send anybody to hell. It's their sin that's been uncovered by the blood that sends them to hell. Hell is real. Hell is hot. Hell is torment. Hell is a place of unimaginable pain. It's real. It's not a figment of the imagination. Pastor Robert Sargent described hell out of Luke chapter number 16 with the story of the rich man and Lazarus, which is not a parable, by the way. It's not a parable. It's a real story. Jesus didn't say it was a parable, and he used real names. It's not a parable. Okay, but in that story in Luke 16, where the rich man died and held up his eyes, there is a conscious pain. He knew what was going on. He could reason. He could think. There is a physical pain. The Bible tells us that he could hear. He could feel. He could taste. He could speak. He could see. There was a mental pain. He was told to remember. Boy, what a mental pain that has to be for anybody that dies and goes to hell being halted for the rest of eternity of the memory of the messages they've heard, the Sunday school lessons they've heard, the gospel tracts they've read, the Christian programs that they've heard, anything that told them that Jesus loved them and Jesus died for them and that God could save them and they rejected that, they will be haunted for the rest of eternity with that in their memory. But there will also be a spiritual pain. It's funny how the rich man after he got to hell suddenly had a burden for his unsaved brothers. And the rich man asked for a, he asked for a drop of water and he asked for a missionary. He asked for a soul winner. Did he not? Send Lazarus that he may testify. He knew what a testimony was. We're talking about the design of hell. God designed it for the devil and his angels. The Bible is also clear that everyone that rejects Christ, that does not accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, will go to hell. I want to bring me to my third point this morning, the duration of hell. There seems to be a lot of debate about the duration of hell. Even people that believe in hell do not agree with what the Bible says about the duration of hell. There are two places referred to in our scripture this morning that, uh, that talks about 
uh, everlasting fire in verse number 41 and an everlasting punishment in verse number 46. There's two places in the Bible referred to many times interchangeably by accident when talking about hell. There are two places in the Bible that are specific and they're different. And it's hell and it's the lake of fire. Those two things are not the same thing. Okay, the Bible teaches of a place called hell, then the Bible teaches of a place called the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 and verse number 15. And one man likened it like this. He said, it's like a man on earth committing a crime. He's arrested and he's put in jail. And he's held in jail till he stands before the judge and he's sentenced for his crimes. Then he goes to prison. There's a difference in jail and prison. And so people, when they die, they go to hell. And they'll be in hell until the great white throne judgment. And after the great white throne judgment, they will be cast into the lake of fire along with hell. All right. So the Bible teaches in Revelation chapter 20. They will stand before God and the Bible says their names will not be found in the book of life. Will not be found. Meaning somebody's looking for their name in that book. And I don't believe it's God. There may be a few people says, my name's in there. When you read Matthew, was it Matthew 7, 25, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name done many wonderful works and thy name cast out devils and I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. There will be people standing before God at the great white throne judgment arguing with him that they are saved and should be going to heaven instead of hell, but their names are not found in the book of life. Somebody's going to be looking for it. I can't help but wonder if what God don't say, well, Harry, I tell you what, if you can find it, you can go to heaven. It's not in there. Amen. Yes, sir. Scared the daylights out of me. The level of deceit. Somebody could be deceived. But anyway, the Bible goes on to tell us that their names will not be found in the, in the book of life and they'll be cast into the lake of fire. The Bible tells us that death and hell will also be cast into the lake of fire. Not only will the hell be cast into the lake of fire, but death is also cast into the lake of fire. So the people that are in the lake of fire are no longer under the control of death because death's in there too. Death will be powerless in the lake of fire. (laughs) When Jesus came forth out of the grave, he got the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Death is powerless over the believer, but death's powerless against the unbeliever. We're talking about physical death. But the Bible calls it spiritual death. They'll be dead forever spiritually. The unsaved will be resurrected with a new body. Stay with me now. We know that the believer will be resurrected with a glorified body. When Jesus came out of the tomb, he had a different body than he had when he went in. He was able to appear in the upper room and the doors were locked. He was able to ascend up to the Father on the Mount of Olives. You can't do that in your physical body. You do that with a glorified body. But the unbelievers will also be resurrected and they will have a different body than a physical body. Stay with me. I, don't, I wouldn't call it a glorified body, but it's different. Stay with me. The Bible says in Acts chapter 24, verse number 15, to have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Revelation chapter number 20, verse number 13 says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. They were resurrected. These are all lost people. 
resurrected. So when they're thrown into the lake of fire, they're in the fire, stay with me, their soul is in there, their spirit is in there, and their body is in there. Oh, it's real. It's very real. So how do we know that when the Bible says eternal damnation or everlasting punishment, that that's what it really means? Let me just give you some things this morning. The fire in hell is an everlasting fire. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but if everybody that's thrown into hell is burned up in the first two minutes, why do you need an everlasting fire? Matthew chapter 18, verse number eight says, Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt and maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Matthew 25, 41, our text this morning, then shall he say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Mark chapter 9 mentions it several times from verse 43 down through verse number 48. In Mark 9, 43, it says, uh, uh, it's better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. In Mark 9, 44, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Mark 9, 45, if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life halt than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. And then in Mark 9, 46 and 9, 48, it says where their worm dieth not and their fire is not quenched. So we know the fire in hell is an everlasting fire that shall never be quenched. Multiple sources of scripture prove that. But then in Mark chapter 3, in verse number 29, we learn that the damnation is an eternal damnation. Jesus said in Mark 3, 29, but he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. And that word eternal in that verse means never ceasing, everlasting, without end. And the word damnation means separation and judgment. It means exactly what it says it does. The fire in hell is an everlasting fire. The damnation is an eternal, everlasting damnation. Thirdly, the judgment is an eternal judgment. In Hebrews chapter number 6, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrines of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. It's eternal. False teachers, the Bible tells us in Jude, verse number 13, are condemned to eternal darkness. It says, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. False teachers are condemned to that same darkness, that same judgment, and the same damnation as fallen angels. Is everybody still with me? In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, through covetousness shall they with feign words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, he said you're going to have the same judgment as the fallen angels. There's not two different kinds. There's not a place for the devil and his angels and then a place for people that rejected Christ. They're going to the same hell. So the, the, the fire that's in hell is everlasting. 
The, the damnation is an eternal damnation. Judgment is an eternal judgment. Number four, those that worship the Antichrist and receive the mark of the beast during the tribulation period, the Bible says, will be tormented forever. That is Revelation chapter 14. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, down through verse number 11, the Bible says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. I don't know how you can read that and conclude that there is anything such as soul annihilation in hell. Jehovah's Witnesses and others believe in annihilation. They believe that hell is hell, but it's like throwing a piece of paper in a fire. It burns up. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible's clear in Revelation 14 that the Antichrist and everybody that receives the mark of the beast will be tormented forever and they have no rest night or day. Let's go a step further. Number five, the devil, the false prophet, and the beast, also known as the Antichrist, will be tormented forever and ever in the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 10, the Bible says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Three specific people in that verse. The devil, the beast, and the false prophet. Now you can say, I understand why the, why the devil would be condemned to everlasting punishment because he was the devil. And I could understand how he could not be burned up maybe because he's an angelic being. All right, that's fine. But you've got to deal with the false prophet and the antichrist being thrown in there too. And they're not angelic beings, they're human beings. The false prophet and the antichrist will be human beings just like us. And they're all three going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And the Bible says they will all be tormented day and night forever and ever. Number six, here's where it really gets stout. The unbelievers at the great white throne judgment will be cast into the same lake of fire that the devil was cast into. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, down through verse number 15. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the same lake of fire that Satan and the beast and the false prophet are cast into is the same lake of fire that everybody that stands before God at the great white throne judgment will be cast into, which is every lost person that has ever lived on planet earth from the, from the beginning to the end, thrown into the same lake of fire teaching that annihilation is the only possible outcome from fire is unbiblical for a number of reasons. In, in Exodus chapter 3, verse number 2, there was a bush that was on fire and it was not consumed and it was just a bush. 
That was the miracle was that it was not consumed. That's what caused Moses to say, I will turn aside and see this great sight. And he stopped what he was doing and went and looked at this bush. He had seen bushes burning. He had seen burning bushes his whole life. A bush on fire wasn't a big deal. The big deal was it was not consumed. That's what got his attention. And then if you've, got a, if you've got a problem with hell, saying there's no way somebody can be thrown into the lake of fire and survive, you're going to have a hard time explaining Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that was not only thrown into a fiery furnace, but they were thrown into a fiery furnace that was seven times hotter. It was so hot, it killed the men that threw them in. And the Bible says they came out of that furnace and not, didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. And they wasn't in a glorified body either. So if you deny that hell is real, you gotta have a, you're going to have a hard time with that story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking around in a fiery furnace. If your only conclusion is that fire burns things up. And if hell's not forever, why in the world did Jesus have to die on a cross? I mean, I hate to be, I hate to be the, the guy that says the obvious, but if the worst thing that could happen to a person that rejects Christ after living in sin their whole life is 60 seconds of fire, that's not much of a deterrent. You say, well, why would you say that? Because the Bible says that hell's forever, and that ain't much of a deterrent. Am I right? People that believe in hell, lost people that believe in hell, knows hell's forever, and that ain't causing them to run down the aisle and get saved this morning. It ain't causing us to go soul winning faithfully neither. I want to be the one this morning to go on record and tell you the Bible's clear. There is such a thing as eternal punishment. And I don't say that with joy. And I don't say that with glee. It makes my, it makes my hands break out in the sweat preaching this. You say, I don't understand why God would send somebody that lived their whole life in sin, why he would send them to eternal punishment. I'm going to tell you what I don't understand is why God let somebody that lived in sin their whole life pray one prayer and go to heaven for eternity. That's what I don't understand. I've got a harder time understanding eternity in heaven than I do eternity in hell. Let's just be honest. Ain't no one of us deserves heaven. None of us deserve to go to heaven. None of us deserve to spend the rest of eternity in place of heaven, in the wonders and bliss of heaven, where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death, where there's just going to be the presence of God and life's going to be amazing. None of us deserve that. Why is it our human logic accepts heaven as a justifiable reward for the saved, but has a problem with hell being a justifiable reward for the wicked? If I didn't believe in one, I could not believe in the other. And there's no difference in the eternity. The same word that describes the fire and the same word that describes the punishment is the same word that describes our eternal life, our everlasting life. Those are not two different words. We can't get excited about everlasting life and deny the existence of an eternal hell. Bring me to my fourth point. This is good stuff. The deliverance from hell. <laughs> Here's the good news. You don't have to go to hell. The youth choir sings that song. I'm not going to hell. Praise God. I'm glad this morning I can stand on the authority of the word of God and tell you I am not going to hell. 
I worry about a lot of things sometimes, but going to hell is not one of them. I've been saved, saved, saved by the grace of God. I've been forgiven. I've been blood-bought. I'm a born-again child of God, and I'm going to heaven when I die. I can't go to hell, and the devil can't do nothing about it this morning. I'm not going to hell, hallelujah. And the good news this morning is if you're here this morning and you're not sure you're saved, you don't have to go to hell either. God don't want you to go to hell. He prepared it for the devil and his angels. So what must a person do to escape eternal damnation, eternal punishment in hell? Romans chapter number five. If you've got your Bible, turn over there right quick. Let me give you this and I've done. Romans chapter number five. The Bible says... Verse number one, therefore, I want y'all to read this for me. Just look at it. Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the opposite of the judgment, by the way. That's the opposite of the condemnation. That's the opposite of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not on us anymore. We now have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I'm in Romans chapter number five. Look with me if you would, jump down to verse number six. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. He loved you so much. God loved you so much. And he didn't want you to go to hell so much. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die and go through mine and your hell for us on the cross. He didn't just take the sins of the world upon him. The Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And he made it so simple. He took works completely out of it. He took good deeds completely out of it. Church membership, baptism, being a good person, following the Ten Commandments, he took all that out of it. And he said, here's how simple it is. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Here's what he said. And if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Y'all getting this this morning? The deliverance from hell 
is the simple act of putting your faith and trust in the finished work of Calvary and turn from your sins and turn to him and believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, calling out to him, say, I need to be saved. I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell, but I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Would you save me? I tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You could be delivered from an eternity in hell like that. I mean, that's the most amazing miracle of any miracle you could ever talk about. Of all the miracles in the Bible, the Red Sea being parted and walking across on dry ground ain't nothing for a person that's been lost to immediately be saved and regenerated and be born again. That is the greatest miracle. And you can experience that today before you walk out those doors and go home. I wonder this morning with the heads bowed and eyes closed, musicians are coming. There might be somebody in this service this morning say, Pastor Shiflett, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. But my life does not really describe and depict somebody that believes in eternal punishment. I'm not the soul winner that I should be. I don't pass out tracts and tell people about Jesus like I should. Don't raise your hand. Just come on down to the altar. That would probably be everybody in this room if we were honest. If we all really believed in eternal punishment, we would all be vibrant soul winners. No question about that. But there may be somebody here this morning say, Pastor Shiflet, I do not know if I'm saved. I do not know if I died right now that I would go to heaven. And I do not want to spend eternity in hell with the devil and his angels and the antichrist and the false prophet. I don't want to go there. And I would appreciate it if you would pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you be honest enough this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just quietly slip your hand up where I could see it? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm saved. Anybody? Anybody else? Preacher, I'm not sure. Pray for me. We wouldn't embarrass you for nothing in this world. We would just love to take a Bible and try to talk to you this morning. The altars feel this morning, but there's room down here at Christian's we need soul winners. We need Christians that honestly and truly believe in eternal punishment. They believe what the Bible says about people that die without Christ really do go to hell and they never get out. They're there forever. A place of torment, a place of, a place of absolute unbelievable torment and separation from God. Separation from God for all eternity with no hope of ever getting out. Church, that has been given to us as an unbelievable motivation to be involved in soul winning, world missions, supporting missionaries, passing out tracts, making sure our children are saved, making sure our family is saved, making sure our friends and co-workers are born again and saved. 